Here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast, but you came here for Kyle and Jennifer. They are both uh, more well-versed in blood flow restriction than I am. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash BFR tips. So Jennifer and I were talking beforehand and she said she is an orthopedic surgeon's best friend. And she's had like four surgeries in the last four years and used BFR more than her patients herself. And so then they've actually got a really cool setup, which I'll let her talk about some there. And then Kyle has been on the podcast before talking about BFR. But uh, if you look for Kyle Kimbroy's talking about BFR and all sorts of different places. I've you know seen him on multiple different podcasts, as well as the one that he is on almost, I think, weekly or biweekly with uh, Johnny Owens and Owens Recovery Science. So Jennifer, I know you're a little nervous being here. Uh, first time podcast, huge audience, you know, everything like that, but you will do fantastic. So Jennifer, welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. That was exactly what Jennifer needed to, <laughs> to stamp down her nervousness. Huge audience. Yeah. all right before we get started with that though i do want to give a shout out to uh, judy batar she is a student athletic trainer at Pasadena memorial high school and she her basketball team came over here to play ours and she's like hey aren't you the guy that does the sports medicine broadcast you know i follow that so she's a high school student following it i told her to send me an email and i'd give her a shout out on the podcast so thanks for listening and uh being courageous enough to say something because if I'm somewhere at an event, sports medicine conference, NATA, something like that, I love for people to say, Hey, you know, thanks. Or, Hey, I listen to the podcast or, Hey, you know, whatever it is. So if you were, if you see me at an event, please say hi, tell me you listen or, you know, high five, whatever it is. And I'm sure Kyle, same thing. And then Jennifer, now that she's going to be famous, she'll feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) It means a lot. It really does. Doesn't it, Jeremy? Like I've had the opportunity to meet a few people that listen to our podcast and mm-hmm. you just think you're just putting words out in the air. Nobody really cares. You're not listening to this, you know, and, uh, and people do listen and, and uh, it does definitely means a lot. So shout out to Judy for stepping up and just introducing herself. That's cool. And then just recently I was in San Antonio and Tony Young was asking me about, Hey, what was that blood pressure cuff thing you were, you were talking about again? So again, this is it right here. We're talking about yeah. blood flow restriction. So hopefully Tony, of course, being in San Antonio, he has a really good opportunity to, you know, meet with Johnny or the There's some guys there that know what they're doing. And yeah. <laughs> so he's right there in that, in that neck of the woods. So, all right. <clears throat> this, the, the blood flow restriction that we got was from a education foundation grant. And so I reached out to them because it's, you know, to buy the Delphi units, it's about $6,000 investment kind of thing. Um, and so we got that through the grant and some of the things that some of the tips that they said for getting funded for an education foundation grant in our district was, will it make my classroom more innovative? Will it make, will it boost student engagement? Will it be used primarily in the classroom or your campus? Is it underfunded or not funded by the regular school fund budgets? And then does it relate to student learning development and academic success? And so I think with the blood flow restriction, the keeping kids, getting kid, returning kids to health, that's kind of what we're, we're all focused on here as athletic trainers. So I'll give some more tips towards the end on the education foundation. I'll also have those posted again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash BFR tips. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash BFR tips. All right, Jen. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your injury history and your use of BFR personally. Well, I'm practically a semi-professional recreation sports player, and um, I just tend to get hurt really easily, apparently, in my older age. Um, I had a complete right ankle reconstruction, a right knee scope, and a left knee dislocation, which took two surgeries recently, um, back in September, playing rec volleyball with my friends. Um, Hey, we did win the championship though, so that's pretty good. (laughs) But (laughs) I had my fair share of blood flow over the last four years with all my injuries. And I can personally say that it has helped tremendously compared to any kind of injury that I've had prior to trying blood flow for the first time. Kyle, have you had any injuries where you had to use BFR? No, and I'm too old to have used it um, when I was a youth. So, but no, I haven't actually. Um, I just 
kind of ended up doing this by happenstance and being in the rehab world. So no personal like rehabbing from an injury experience at all. All right. So Lord. just recently we had a, or, you know, this year we, we got it in August. And so um, we had a femur fracture this year and the kid is actually, I watched him play baseball on Friday. Right. So it was nice. um, September, September when he fractured the femur and then he did BFR almost every day after he got cleared by his doctor. Um, and, you know, his quad size, I think I've mentioned it before, um, was slightly larger or e either even or slightly larger on the, on the surgical leg because he used BFR every day with, you know, squats or deadlifts or clams or bridges or whatever it was almost every single day he was here, he was using the BFR on his lower body. And then one of our ACL, uh, athletes, she had surgery a week or two ago, but when we first measured her, I think it was right after Christmas break was about 19 inches on her quad. And then her un unaffected quad was 22. So she was 21 and 22, um, the day before she went to surgery. So, you know, gaining two inches of quad girth, that's, that's kind of what happens. And, and she wasn't even killing it. Like she was, um, not here cause it happened before Christmas break. So she had all the Christmas break where she didn't do anything. That was two weeks. And then there was a couple of days where we shut down for weather or whatever it is. So she wasn't even like everyday hardcore, but just seeing a change in, in the quad girth, of two inches is huge. And that, that greatly increases our chance of success after surgery. So Jennifer, let's talk a little bit about your situation. Um, some of the things that you've seen, and then we'll talk about some of the tips and tricks there. So I want to quickly mention, um, your situation is you have physical therapists coming onto your campus there at Cabot high school. So talk a little bit about that and then how y'all are using it. Okay. Um, so here at Cabot high school, we actually have a physical therapist come Monday, Wednesday, Friday, seventh period during our high school athletics. Um, and they work with, we work together really well with the athletes. So we keep in constant communication and them coming on campus saves parents time and money and kids from missing school. So that's a really great situation we have going on. Um, and they always bring their blood flow restriction units. So pretty much anyone who fits the protocol to do blood flow, gets blood flow at least three days a week here at the school. Um, we had a football player with a PCL and meniscus repair. And he, after three months, was equal quad size. Um, his quad was 104% on the Cybex and his hamstring was 100%. At four months post-op, he um, was able to pass all single leg hop tests and all functional return to sports. And the doctor cleared him early to go back to sport after four months with that. Um, and he was using blood flow almost every day. That's great. Yeah. I love that y'all cybex to them and, you know, you got those kind mm -hmm. of objective numbers too. That's, that's huge. So yeah. That's really cool. Kyle, what you think? Obviously your, your situation is different. You're working a physical therapy clinic, but what are some of the big success stories that you've personally seen with BFR? So I think, um, I kind of look at it from the perspective of acutely what do we see and then sort of kind of chronically what do we see so you know acutely one of the things that that we see routinely is a reduction in pain that that's almost kind of immediate um and you know in many ways gives a patient you know that comes in in pain um and that has been in pain for a little while um gives them a bit of confidence and you know i mean it does great for the clinic because they think well these people really clearly know what they're doing they took away a lot of my discomfort um so i think that that's really cool and that's something that's you know really beginning to be studied more extensively right now um so in terms of like big wins day one that's one of the things that a lot of times you'll just kind of see um pretty pretty quickly when you start using blood flow restriction um you know, then from there, it's just a matter of, you know, people kind of getting back to doing what they're doing a little bit faster, coming in the clinic, working a little bit harder than they typically um, would expect to be 
working. I, I, there's one particular guy, Jennifer, who's in knee dislocation, but he was bilateral. And so he had two surgeries on each knee. One was delayed, you know, um, kind of like you had, and this guy was a, an electrician. So he's all around down Los Angeles all the time, driving the truck has to do a ton of walking and all that stuff. And I forget how quickly we got him kind of close to normal, you know, back to his prior level of function. Um, but it was a lot faster than anticipated. And that was really, really great to see. And, and he could come in and work really hard and got to where, you know, we were pushing some pretty heavy weight with him because um, we, we didn't really need the BFR after a while. So, so that was pretty neat to see, you know, um, but you know, that we've seen little things like little tendonitis or tendinopathies, like, like a posterior tibial tendonitis, those things tend to be kind of cranky and, and somewhat tough to rehab. We've seen some of those really bounce back pretty quickly through the addition of BFR, um, presumably just because we were able to work those muscles hard without too much load crossing that tendon and, and getting too much compression in that region. So um, fun stuff like that too, where, you know, it just kind of surprises you and you're like, well, all right, let me kind of log that and think about that the next time this person or similar situation comes through the clinic. So pretty wide range. <clears throat> All right. So thinking about some of the things that, that you've learned through the process, personally using it or using it with your student athletes. Uh, actually, I do want to go back real quick. Um, Jennifer, are y'all using the Owens Recovery Science Delphi units? Yes. And um, the PT clinic also has smart cuffs. They have both. All right. So, so have you personally used both of them? Yeah. Yeah. All right. The so, Delphi is 10 times better. All right. So Cal, I would like you to under a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like you at some point to kind of discuss um why, you know, what's what's the difference. And um yeah. you know, and I, I know we kind of mentioned it in one of the other podcasts, but we did most of that off of the off air. Um yeah. so I would like to discuss that as we're talking about best practices for the secondary setting, what's going to be safest and things like that. Um, but again, we're talking about tips and tricks. So some of the things that I've learned, um, for using BFR, it was always hard to hit the button. So if you've looked at the Delphi units or, you know, if you're listening right now, uh, at a, or listening at a different time than when we're recording this and you, and you look at the, a picture of the Delphi unit, you'll see there's the top one that has the the pressure, the millimeters of mercury, and then the bottom one has time. So there's a big circle and then there's a little clock in the middle. I thought you always had to hit the gray clock to stop the time or start the 30 second timer, but you can hit anywhere inside of that circle and that starts a 30 second timer. So it makes it a lot easier. You're not trying to be like catching your breath and hit that timer at the same time. So that's one of my user tips for the Delphi unit. What you got, Jen? figured out that the best way for using the unit in general is to make sure that you have your exercises planned out prior to going into the rehab. Yeah, you can roll through a lot of exercises if you just got it mapped out. All right, so Kyle, tell me what's a user tip? A user for... tip? Um, so, well, I think make sure you have the right cuff. Um, cause I see that happen a lot. Um, make sure that you get the cuff as high as you can on the limb. I have a special slide for that, but you got to take my class in order to see the slide. I'm not going to tell you all about it. Jeremy, you might have seen it. I don't know. Um, it may or may not be in Ben's presentation. Um, and then, you know, make sure that cuffs on snug enough, that'll make it easy to get limb occlusion pressure. Um, I, I think if anything, that's probably where people seem to have the most questions and hiccups is sometimes having a difficult time getting limb occlusion pressure on the leg. Um, and then if you've done all those things from there, we just like for you to kind of maybe do like little isometric contractions, something like that to kind of disrupt the blood flow, kind of make the patient or athlete, uh, more noisy, if you will, so that the, the cuff can hear them. And then sometimes we'll even just kind of like take our hands and kind of compress the cuff just a little bit so that the, the cuff system can kind of hear what's going on and then it can kind of just roll from there. Um, those would be my main, main tips for getting going. Yeah. Okay, so I need to actually ask you about both of those. 
one getting it high enough and tight enough so we i I tweeted or instagrammed you that picture kyle about Mm -hmm. where it kind of looked like it was blowing out of the top right so the cuff should look symmetrical like a blood pressure cuff when you're putting it on um but this one because of the angle of the leg you know is more um if i remember yeah Mm mm-hmm and so the, it looked like the top was kind of blowing out. So obviously the pressure was greater at the top than at the bottom. Um, you know, it's still measured. It still had the LOP, but what do we do there for getting that cuff on tight and snug? Yeah. I, I think sometimes you kind of have to play with it a little bit. Um, I obviously making sure the cuff is the right size. And then when you put that Velcro down, it's like right dead smack in the middle. Um, you know, I could see a scenario where like if you have a limb that's just shaped really differently than most of the limbs that you see, you might kind of tinker around um, with sort of where the Velcro goes. But you do have kind of like the, you know, a big broad piece of Velcro and then you have that little Delphi handle as well to try to kind of really stabilize that and hold it in place. I've actually never had that happen. So it was interesting when you posted that and i've done this a lot um if anything what i have seen on limbs that are more v-shaped is um if i'm doing like a squat or something like that you'll you might see the 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 cuff might want to kind of slide down a little bit um because there's just a little less purchase that it's able to get given the the general shape of the limb um but i think jeremy i would really kind of just once i get it on the person I would look at it and see if there's any sort of just little adjustments I can make. Cause I've seen that where sometimes people will get a cuff on a limb, but it just looks kind of like cattywampus a little bit, but you can kind of adjust it and tinker with it. Um, that's not a real straightforward answer, of course, but um, I think that was a pretty unique situation too. It was very, it was very interesting when I, when you showed us that. Yeah, so, asked the PTs about that because I was like, I've never seen this before, and I don't yeah. know what they're talking about. Yeah. So, so you're talking about the picture that I that I shared. Is that so much of her? Mm-hmm. Right, so, if you're watching on the YouTube or the Facebook Live um, or the video the recording of the Zoom later, so it's actually the picture on left underneath Jennifer's name. So you can see it looks like it's blowing out. Um, again, you'd have to look at the live picture or go back to. I don't know if it was Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, wherever it was that I connected with Kyle. Um, but you can see where it looks like it's blown out. And again, I'm pretty sure, like you said, it was user error. Um, the ang- the leg, you know, it kind of slipped down some. And so on mm. that note, I know that I've noticed that you can, once you get the limb occlusion pressure, you can click deflate. Like if you click inflate and it does that, and then you can deflate, readjust, and then inflate it without having to do the limb occlusion pressure again, as long as you don't turn the machine off. <laughs> And yeah. so I've done that as well. Okay, well, hey, let's turn it, let's deflate it so we can adjust it and make it tighter and put it back on there. Um, Kyle, you mentioned the getting the limb occlusion pressure. So I have a athlete with a larger leg. We actually ordered the maroon one, the 44 inch. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, that one fit, but I couldn't get the limb occlusion pressure. So then Ben showed us, hey, have them do, you know, the quad isometrics. Still not doing anything mm-hmm. okay well let's try a little bit more activity and see what happens so i didn't try squeezing the cuff because i didn't mm-hmm. know that that was an option um so i'll try i can try that next time because we really need to get that athlete stronger but yeah. if we can't get the lop what else what other options and and i will say i think she was wearing tights like leggings so i don't know if mm-hmm. that makes any difference if you have the leggings and then the fitted sleeve that you're supposed to use and then the cuff so I, so I will say I've never not been able to get limb inclusion pressure. So um, I, and I would, I would um, be of the opinion that the limb protection sleeve over the compression pants, um, it does add an extra layer. And I have seen it where that is the barrier to keeping you from getting limb inclusion pressure. So it's, it's perfectly okay to just go directly over like yoga pants or compression shorts or something like that with, with the cuff. So I'd start there, Jeremy. Um, And then from there, I will say also, you know, when someone has larger limbs like that, a lot of times when they lie supine on a table, there's a lot of space between like the back of their knee and um, their, their limb. And so it might not, they might not be 
totally relaxed when they're kind of lying there. And so one of the things I'll make sure to do is either I'll kind of cradle their limb with my hands and kind of my, my thigh, like just kind of putting it up on the table and just trying to get that person to relax. Or I'll put like a, like a foam roll or a bolster or something like that under their limb, just to make sure that they're fully relaxed because um, especially in a larger limb, you need them relaxed because it also has to get quite tight. And as that thing gets tight, it's, it's uncomfortable when, especially like the first time or two that you do it, you, you, you know, you have no context for it. Um, and then this thing just kind of keeps squeezing you and squeezing you like a boa constrictor. So um, you, you can get a little bit nervous and people can kind of get a bit apprehensive and that, that can kind of get in the way. If you are unable to get limb occlusion pressure at all, like you've tried all that stuff, the isometrics, all that stuff, putting your hands on it and that kind of thing. I'll be shocked if you can't get it, number one. But um, from there, there is a, a calculation in a paper that Jeremy Lunicky put together. So that would probably be your next best effort. And it'd be based off of limb circumference and um, <clears throat> and uh excuse me, cuff width and systolic blood pressure. So you could kind of do that. I don't know if it's off cuff width. I think it's just limb circumference and systolic blood pressure. So you could kind of get in the ballpark using that. Um, you know, something else you could do is just get your stethoscope and kind of listen for a pulse that at least would get you kind of in the range to see like, when does that go away kind of thing. So that might be a, a very remedial way, but um, you could, you could do that also. Um, but I think you'll be able to get it, honestly, by making those little adjustments. I really, I really do. I just, like I said, I, I've, I don't think I've ever not been able to get it. So, yeah. So I think that was definitely three options. One is remove the sleeve. She's wearing pants. Two, yeah. Uh, apply a little external pressure on the cuff, and then three, apply a bolster or something to allow the knee to relax. Which, now that I think about it, it does seem like she was like tightening her leg up as they got tighter, and and you know her leg wasn't able to completely relax on the table, so she was holding it up. So that de def definitely will make a difference. So I'll check those out. Yeah. I would say too, backing up just a bit to the, you were talking about how if the cuff had slid and you were deflate it real quick and then reinflate. Um, another way to do that is to just pull the, the air tube and put your thumb over the air tube. Um, and so then the, you don't have to actually deflate the cuff. You can kind of reposition it. Well, the cuff will deflate, but you're not actually pushing deflate. With the cuff will deflate, you can kind of reposition it and then you can just plug it right back in and it'll and it'll go. The the, the system doesn't know that you've unplugged the, the tube. So so you're saying I'm unplugging it from the cuff? Yep. Just like if you're yeah. plugging up a water hose kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You can do that. And and you can do that. Um, if you have someone that's just kind of having a hard time with the pressure, like maybe it's their first or second time doing it. Um, that's an, you know, maybe they're in that second or third set and you're like, well, I don't want to stop yet because you haven't done enough work. You know, that's a way that you can kind of give people some relief, um, pretty quickly, but then, you know, everything gets pretty real again, pretty quick once you <laughs> reinflate it. But all right, Jennifer, one of the things that started the conversation with Jason, you one of your athletic trainers there is he said that BFR has been a game changer for y'all in the secondary setting. All right. And so tell me a little bit more about why he said it's been a game changer. Maybe some of the ways that y'all have used it that you wouldn't think of. Um, you know, because if you watch the Owens Recovery Science social media, you'll see people doing like, I don't know, jump squats with it or, or like agility drills with it and things like that. And for me, that's a $5,000 machine. I'm not letting my high school kids carry that machine while they're doing agility drills. Right. So tell me a little bit about how y'all have used it to be a game changer that one of the biggest things is they come with the backpack so you don't actually have to have the little like IV stand to move it around so then it's really portable um, you just put it in a backpack and then you can have them do any kind of drills that you want them to do which is really nice um, I think it is a game changer because we just have seen so much better results than just the old school hey, let's do quad sets, straight leg raises every day. And, you know, you're not really getting that math back like you need to. Um, and also they feel like they're actually getting a workout. That's a big deal too, um, psychologically, is they feel that they're doing something, their leg feels, or their arm, um, feels like they are really getting a workout in, um, which makes a really big difference too whenever you're talking about um 
the whole, like the person as a whole. I think, I think that's a good point, Jennifer. Um, and certainly something that, uh, we, we talk about a lot, uh, in our circles, um, is just getting a patient, an athlete able to feel like everything's sort of back to normal, um, after a big injury. I think that's the psychology of that is, is huge. And I, I imagine someone at some point will decide to study that. No one's, no one's studied it yet, but I, I think that you'll probably, see someone that has some expertise and some interest in that area kind of dive into that and, and look at that. I, I would, I would like to say that um, we, we are not big fans at all of doing agility drills and things like that with BFR. Um, <laughs> Instagram is, is Instagram. There's stuff on there. That's, that's just not reality a lot of times and people just do things for the pictures and video. But um, you know, I think, for the most part, keeping BFR very simple, hitting your pressure targets, hitting your load targets, hitting your effort targets, and then really getting in enough weekly volume is are the big wins. Um, so, but I, people do I, get creative with it. I do think that is one of the biggest deals is making sure, you know, that they are cuffed up for that amount of time. Say so they can't finish that exercise if they can at least stay cuffed up just to hit the time mark that's a big deal too and personally with me um whenever I went home for Christmas break and then I came back I thought I was maybe going to die again whenever I had to start <laughs> doing the cuff again after taking an entire week off um it was feeling really good and then I took a week off and I had to start all over again and I was like okay no more time off no days off, Jennifer. No days off. <laughs> yeah, so on a similar note there, I was doing an experiment. And if you went to my Instagram, the Sports Medicine Broadcast Instagram, I think I called it the right arm experiment. So if you search hashtag right arm experiment. So with only my right arm, I was doing BFR every, you know, about four days a week for almost four weeks straight. And I, I didn't, I'm not a scientist. So I didn't think about, hey, let me measure them beforehand or let me take before and after pictures or anything like that. Now there is definitely a difference in the workload if you have BFR on. So, you know, if I'm doing say 25 pound dumbbell curls and overhead presses for the eight minutes, yeah, you know, my right arm is going to be a lot more dead than my left, but it was never like, I don't look like the guy on the movie, um, lady in the water, you know, where one, one arm is a bodybuilder and one arm is super skinny. Right. And so I, I kind of have a question about that. There is, one of the things that Ben said, I think, was that with like a heavy, healthy weight is plus BFR, you don't really see the benefit. You see it either with the BFR and the lower weight or the heavy weight. But when you combine the two, it doesn't really like the, the water's a little muddy. So Kyle, talk, talk to me there. Why did I not see uh a noticeable size difference in my right arm. If I'd use the BFR on my right arm for, um, four time, four times a week for four weeks consistently. Talk to me about that. And you were using heavyweight when you did that, Jeremy. Uh, or... so it was like a 25 or a 30 pound dumbbell in each hand. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. And yeah, so that's, that's about like 50% of my one rep max probably. So, yeah. Okay. And, and you were able to get all 75 reps? Sometime, most of the time. Yeah, that's pretty impressive, dude. Um, I mean, you, I clear, this is the answer, Jeremy. You are already at peak performance, man. The, there's, you're at the ceiling. Like, there's nowhere else to go. Like, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but you're, you're right up there, man. There's like, you're looking for improvement, but it's like, how could you get any better, you know? Uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, I would agree with Ben that um, it's pretty muddy whether or not BFR is additive, you know, when you are using moderate to heavy weight. Um, there, there are a couple papers um, that, you know, might indicate that maybe like really overloading with BFR, maybe that adds something to the mix. But now we're talking, you know, um, at a, at a max number or super maximal number where you're getting like an eccentric, a true kind of eccentric contraction. Um, 
so there's that which you you know you weren't doing you were kind of doing like a moderate weight type thing um and i think that <clears throat> when you are at that moderate weight and adding bfr because bfr is going to make you fatigue faster than you normally would um the the rub there could be you could end up with uh, an exercise volume problem like you might not have done enough reps to get hypertrophy on a like a weekly kind of time frame i mean it sounds like with doing it four times a week and the number of reps you were completing that that you should have seen that so it's curious that you didn't um but i wonder maybe like because that weight was moderate maybe if you had dropped the pressure down because we do kind of think that there's um like a load sort of pressure seesaw if you will so for example if the load you're lifting is really light then maybe the pressure needs to be higher. Um, but in your situation, you were lifting a pretty kind of heavy load. So, you know, we think probably that pressure really can kind of come down to kind of hit that sweet spot, if you will. Um, but also maybe it just, you know, if you resistance train uh, regularly, it could just take you a little bit longer than four weeks to see hypertrophy as well. So I think there's a lot of different things we could look at to kind of explain why um it would be conjecture of course but I, i'm going back to i think you're just at peak performance man like you just you can't get any better and, you're just uh, too slow jeremy yeah that's it's too problem. slow that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> all right so on on the note of the pressure <clears throat> so i know that when we first talked we talked about you know writing down all the stats and stuff like that but i quickly got away from that yeah. i'm like uh eh. It measures it on its own. It doesn't really matter if I do it, but, but as I've looked at it, as I was doing it, like sometimes if well, on my right arm, it'll be like 157. I think we have 157 and then sometimes it's like 182. So it seems like a pretty big swing in the LOP for the same body part. And it could be in the same week. Right. Yeah. So why such a big swing? So limb occlusion pressure is, is strongly driven by your systolic blood pressure. Um, and in fact, um, there's a paper or two just kind of referencing the idea that limb occlusion pressure could be a surrogate for, for blood pressure. So um, I, you can get swings. That's, you know, a 30 millimeter swing in an upper extremity seems like a pretty big swing. In the lower extremity, I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I've seen that clinically. A number of different times. And I've seen on other people where, um, it's just pretty steady. They're just kind of steady Eddie. They don't really seem to change a whole lot. So, so I think you, you, it could be a, uh, um, some evidence of someone's overall fitness level, potentially. Um, it could be an ev evidence of someone's overall like stress level. Like I tell a story when I teach about a, a guy who's a patient of mine, and he, and he kind of ticked me off because he was pretty inconsistent, like coming in. And so, but he was post-op ACL when he came in this final time and he looked terrible and I, and he's in pain and I kind of read him the ride act a little bit. I'm like, look, dude, you gotta, you gotta be in here, man. And like you, this in for one visit and gone for a week, that doesn't fly post-op. And so I kind of, you know, I jumped on him a little bit. And so I think I raised his blood pressure. Cause there was like a, a 40 millimeter mercury swing from like that visit to the next. So, so there's that. Um, so I think you have to kind of keep in mind, well, what was this person doing right before they took limb occlusion pressure and that sort of thing? I mean, I've, I've seen that clinically where I start transitioning towards loading someone heavy, but because I want to ensure that I've got enough exercise volume, um, in their program, we might finish with say one BFR exercise that totally isolates that muscle. Um, but if I just take them from lifting heavy and then I go take their limb occlusion pressure, they're going to spike a, a much higher pressure at me. Um, then, so, you know, if you look at the research papers, everybody kind of like sits quietly for five minutes or maybe they pedal lightly on a bicycle for five minutes, something like that prior to their pressure being taken so that it's kind of like a consistent sort of lead up to that. So, so I think that's, you know, probably the most common thing is just like, what was that person doing right before? Were they outside yelling on the phone, you know, before they kind of came in and were they, you know, were they stressed out because they got a test? Um, you know, did you just hustle down from class to kind of come get your session in that kind of thing? Probably the biggest driver, especially in you guys' setting, but yeah. Two yeah. options. Okay. 
personally, whenever I first started it after surgery, my numbers would be very different just because like pain, I guess, pain and stress. But once um, those kind of things went away, it's been a lot more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an early post-op. An athlete that is a a long-term rehab and uh, he needs a lot of motivation. So I've been working out with him during that athletic period. And so usually it's right after those workouts that I'll do it. And so some days I do work out or we'll go run a mile or, you know, we'll do a lot of work on the, with abs and stuff like that. So I I can definitely see that there's a lot of different variables, um, before the BFR. So that's definitely something I'll, I'll try and make a mental note of, but, um, I'm not super consistent with that. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're, you know, Jeremy, if you're going to come in straight away and you're going to do your BFR work, then I, th- I think it's fine, but you're definitely, it's going to be more pressure. Um, but the reality is that device is measuring where you are at that moment in time. And so, you know, what the level of pressure that you're going to need is be, going to be relative to um, the behavior of your blood flow in your limb at that time point. So, um, you know, the other way to do it would just be to sit for five minutes, kind of let things settle down and then take it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, I know, uh, Jennifer was talking about their last period is when they have their physical therapy, uh, person come in. And for our last period athletics, it's almost a race, like who can get here first so that they can get started with the BFR. Cause we have one unit and we have like five kids that need it. And then, you know, the period's only like 45 minutes long. So by the time they get down here and change, it's like, okay, well, I can't do it today because I got to go or whatever it is. Yeah. And so my next goal, as I've been talking about the Education Foundation, is to write a grant for a second one because we could really use it. And then there's lots of things where you could put it on both of the, you know, the legs while you're doing squats, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so, Jennifer, I want you to talk about your personal experience with the different brands of BFR. And then, Kyle, I want you to kind of fill in the gaps on, on what she doesn't cover. I would say um, the the thing that I dislike about the smart cuff is that you don't have that occlusion going up when you're at rest. So it, to me, it feels like it deflates a little bit throughout the exercise and then it doesn't feel like it holds the pressure um, because you don't have a machine constantly measuring and monitoring. Also, um, if you don't have like the ultrasound Doppler, then you do have to do um, the stethoscope, listen to the pulse and do the whole mathematics. And for working with minors, I don't, I don't like to use that just because I feel like there's a greater risk than if you were to use the Delphi unit. All right. Have you used the... um smart tools the automated one the newest the gen three generation i haven't used that one gotcha all right and then have you used or experienced any of the other like the katsu or the b3 or any of that other stuff no all right so kyle fill us in on some of this again i i love the delphi unit the automation i mean i've trained so many of my students like okay you stand here you press the button or hey okay press this button go lower limb ptp you know so it's super easy for my kids to get right and a lot of the times the student athletes will just come in and put it on themselves and run the whole thing themselves because we've shown them and trained them and you know we have a like you said in the beginning jen is we have the pre-prescribed exercises okay this is what you're doing monday tuesday wednesday whatever it is. And so we have those set up. So they know they come in, I'm doing BFR with this exercise and not this. So Kyle, fill us in on the gaps on the different styles and brands of BFR. There's a lot. Um, I think the thing that I, I, I don't like to, I don't like to speak ill of, of other brands. So I, I like, but I also like for people to kind of know what Delphi has done with their device um so if i if you'd permit me i'll kind of elaborate on that just a little bit but um you know delphi has been making surgical tourniquets for 40 years so that that technology jennifer that you were talking about where it's kind of rapidly adjusting pressure and, and that sort of things actually was developed in the mid 80s by um delphi's chief engineer jim McEwen. um and that that ability is the reason that surgical tourniquets are considered um, less, a less risky medical device today. Like the FDA actually dropped their classification down because of that functionality that the Delphi unit possesses. So, um, so there's decades of 
use in, in the surgical world with that technology um, that's that's proven kind of time and again. So so I like that aspect of it. Then from there, Delphi has validated against a trained technician with a handheld Doppler their limb occlusion pressure technology. So so you know that you truly are getting an accurate objective measure when you when you push that PTP button. So I, I really like those two those two aspects of Delphi. And then from there, um, the construction of the cuff is sort of conical, like we were talking about. That alone has been shown to reduce the amount of pressure needed to get limb occlusion pressure. And then they have a nice wide cuff, um, which again is going to reduce the pressure needed to get limb occlusion pressure. And then lastly, they, you know, their cuffs are constructed, as you know, they've got a little bit of stiffness to them. And so that's going to help to to better distribute the, the force of that cuff inflating with air to the limb kind of effectively. So I, I like those functionalities of, of Delphi and I think they're, they're pretty important. Um, it is more cumbersome than some of the devices. Again, I kind of don't care about that because I kind of don't want people doing box jumps and agility drills and that sort of thing. I just kind of want them sticking to the basics with BFR. And then if there's ancillary things that they want to do, that's great, but that's just my kind of personal opinion. Um, and then lastly, I like how quickly it's going to get your limb occlusion pressure. So we're talking 30 to 45 seconds once you push that button to get a pressure, which is very fast. And then to inflate, it's like six seconds to get to full occlusion. Um, kind of working down the, the newer smart cuffs device, it, it will conversely where Delphi will take 30 to 45 seconds, it will take like three minutes to get your limb occlusion pressure. So that's a lot of time for your athlete. Well, and actually we don't know if it's limb occlusion pressure. We don't actually know what they're giving, what number they're giving us. Um, because you know, I mean, Delphi's technology is patented, so they can't just, they would have had to develop their own ability to get limb occlusion pressure. And so we just don't, we don't know what that number is because they haven't validated it in any way that we know of at least. Um, but it, it takes a lot longer to get the number. Um, and then when you push inflate to just do the exercise, it also takes a lot longer to inflate. It takes about a minute to get to full inflation if you're doing it like on a thigh. Um, that's on their automated one. On their, and then of course the last thing on the automated one that they have is the pressure does not adjust quickly at all. Um, it's a very very slow adjustment. Um, in fact, like I, in playing around with it, I did like a strong isometric contraction because I wanted to. Because if you do that with Delphi. That thing, like, it's hard to make that pressure go up. It's going to kind of adjust really quickly. And so because of that, you don't feel like your limb pushing real hard into the cuff. Um, with the smart tools, I, I found that it just, like, I could keep the pressure elevated in that cuff for a really long time. It would take very, very long time for it to kind of drop down. So uh, it just wasn't as comfortable doing exercise with it. Uh, as Jennifer noted, with their kind of hand pump, type cuff system, um, very similar problems noted with other cuff systems like H plus, um, occlusion cuff, be strong. They tend to lose pressure because you just can't keep all that air in the cuff very, very consistently without a pump. Um, so they, they can kind of lose pressure and they don't really adjust while you're exercising. So that, that can have some discomfort associated with it. And it actually looks like, you know, potentially might cause your blood pressure to respond a little differently as well um, in not necessarily the desired way. So those are kind of the main, the main differences there. And of course you would need to use a handheld Doppler or a stethoscope or some kind of something to try to hear at what point does blood flow kind of go away. And that, that can be a little bit cumbersome, time consuming, and that kind of thing. Uh, and depending on what kind of environment you're in, you might need to kind of like get away and get into a kind of a quiet room to do that. So, um, I mean, those are kind of the big, the big ones off the top of my head that I, that I think about. And if you're working with a 14 year old girl, putting a stethoscope right there at the top of her groin, is it probably the best practice, you know, uh, as a yeah. male athletic trainer. So it's another one of those things where it's like, all right, well, hey, you put this on, you pull this up high, you pull it tight and I can adjust it on the outside, but I'm going to try and stay away from the inner part of your groin, just, you know, for respect, privacy, anything like that. But if I'm having to put that Doppler there or that stethoscope there, which probably I'm having to lean over that kind of thing. It's another one of those issues. It's just, if you can avoid it, it's probably better. 
Yeah. And I think you can go like post your tib on in, in that scenario. You don't necessarily need to be that proximal, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's certainly something to kind of consider for sure. All right. So Jennifer, some of the things, your favorite exercises to do with the BFR, you personally, or some of the ones you do most often, I know it's never really a favorite cause it's never super comfortable to do BFR, but what are some of your favorite exercises to do with BFR? I really like a short arc quad. Um, for some reason for me, I just feel the fatigue and I feel like I've really done something. Um, that's probably my absolute favorite. And then I really like, um, ham- single leg hamstring curl machine with it too. Those are probably my two favorites. I do not like straight leg raise. <laughs> that is my favorite. <laughs> straight leg raise will ruin your day for sure. Anytime I walk in and they say straight leg raise, I'm like, you know, I got to go. <laughs> so I've, we've tested it out a lot. Like I've done the right arm experiment, but I've also both me and Sophia, my coworker here have done squats with the BFR mm-hmm. and I haven't ever, ever been able to finish um, squats with the 75 reps. So I think I was holding like a 60 pound kettlebell doing BFR. So I did the, I think I did the 30 and the 15, and then I did the next 15 with just body weights. And then after that, I had to go to, uh, long arc quads or clamshells or bridge or something like that. It's like, I just, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. And so, uh, again, I don't have an injury. I'm, you know, healthy, but it's, it's super, super tough. So, on that, I don't know, I haven't repeated it multiple times, but two times I did um, BFR squats, like I was kind of feeling like lightheaded, dizzy the, the rest of the day. Is that something that happens? Is that something that I should, oh, hey, don't do this anymore? The rest of the day, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, we've certainly seen Maybe not the rest, at least part of the day. You know, like I just are you being dramatic on that day? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, people definitely can get uh, a little lightheaded because um, it's intense exercise. I mean, you can get a little lightheaded from um, just you know exercising the gym, especially leg day, man. Like leg day, always you know, especially getting going after you haven't been in a while, it can uh, can make you feel some things that you haven't felt in a while. Um, I, I think that generally closed kinetic chain exercises are they feel more taxing than like um isolated joint type movements um like um that wouldn't necessarily always be open kinetic chain but um so i i I don't uh i'm not surprised that you had a hard time with the, the the squats um and uh i think a 60 pound kettlebell um, definitely step the game up a little bit too for uh, a body weight type squat. So um, <clears throat> I would say I, for a squat, it is sometimes tough to make sure that you've got the load correct, you know? Um, and, and then also being kind of, if you were using 80% and you were in standing um, and you were pretty close to, the correct load that could kind of factor in as well. So, you know, it might be that um, you could have dropped the pressure down a little bit because you had so much load sort of go in there. Um, but I, 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 that's where I would say I like for people to use maybe like a total gym or a leg press or something like that and really try to get that load um, probably on the lighter end initially. So, and maybe use a lower pressure initially to kind of get familiar and then start kind of stepping up the game a little bit. So those are maybe some tweaks that I would make to that, Jeremy, to kind of, because for me as a clinician, um, it's, it's a bad thing if you don't finish what you, like if I, if I pushed you too hard. So I would look at that session, if I was running you through it, I'd be like, okay, there are things I need to adjust for Jeremy because he was unable to complete that. And that's not acceptable to me because I need you to really feel like this is going to help you kind of thing, you know? And so I would kind of look back and go, okay, what can I adjust sort of deal? Can I adjust the load? Can I adjust the task somehow? Can I adjust the pressure? 
to just get it to the point where he can finish this. And then from there, we can kind of incrementally start progressing things and pushing you a little bit harder, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. I'm telling you though, those straight leg raises, they'll get you a little dizzy every time. Yeah, they will. <laughs> it's, just, it's some exercises. It's just, they're rough. <laughs> we always chuckle in our labs when someone chooses a straight leg raise. So I'm like, mm. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Watch that group over there. <laughs> All right. Um, any other user tips that you can think of with BFR? So we're kind of come back to those. So again, like I said, the Education Foundation is how we got ours. So Passing Education Foundation has really helped us out. And I've gotten probably $80,000 worth of grants through my 15 years here uh, from them. So lots of, lots of funding. And it's essentially, you just got to, it's like writing a scholarship letter. If you don't do it, nobody's going to give it to you. And again, some of the other tips from them is make learning and engaging innovative impacts a large number of students and teachers. So again, as an athletic trainer, if we have 700 athletes, well, it impacts all of them because all of them can potentially use it. Right. So again, that's a, another way to look at it there. <clears throat> is it reusable, sustainable, and long lasting? So with the BFR, uh, we've used it multiple times a day almost every single day since we've had it. So it's there, it's long lasting, supports classroom instructions, boosts college workplace readiness skills. I have students who are wanting to become athletic trainers, physical therapists, something in the medical field, and I'm allowing them to use this or I'm allowing to them to administer this or be part of this. And so these tools are preparing them to succeed in athletics or to succeed in their future career. And then includes matching funds. So for me with the podcast, you know, I have like physicaltherapy.com. They donate money to the school and, you know, then I can include that. But if you do stuff with donors choose, or maybe you get with Kyle and, you know, they, okay, well, we'll um, throw in a free set of whatever those are, the sleeves, you know, at Owens Recovery Science, we'll throw in a free set of sleeves. Well, that's where it valued at, I don't know, 120, 200, 500 bucks, whatever it is. Well, there you go. There's some matching funds that can fit into your grant stuff. You know, I do stuff like that all the time because that's actually one of the tips. It doesn't actually have to be money. It can be something in kind that helps support and says somebody else other than us is supporting it. And so that's actually part of the way that, that I got mine is through physicaltherapy.com. But then also Kyle and Ben hooked me up um, to help me get that course, to get that, that equipment and get here in Pasadena. So reach out, ask people. Ask somebody, even if something small, you can include that in part of your grant application and then make sure you are completing the application correctly and accurately. You're not leaving off parts or you're not using poor grammar. Thankfully, I have a beautiful wife who is really good at grammar. So I almost always have her um, read over everything. <clears throat> and, and I would say a large part of the reason that I get things is because she goes over and to, I guess, my humility is I actually had my fourth grade son read it and go over it. And he said, here, dad, I changed a couple of things for you. It's because I misspelled something or put a comma in the wrong place or something like that. So it's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm never above having somebody else look at it, even if it's my fourth or sixth grade son. Saying, it's Adobe education, Jeremy. That's it's right. Adobe. It's Adobe education. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those are some other tips from the Education Foundation on getting a grant, which is you know, like I said, it's a $6,000 piece of equipment roughly by the time you're into it um, with a Delphi and I highly recommend the Delphi. So Jennifer, you got any other tips or things to think about as far as getting BFR, using BFR, don't do this with BFR? I think we've pretty much touched on everything. Kyle? Yeah, no, I'm good. I, I thought it was a, a fun little chat. Um, it's cool to see this making its way into the secondary education arena for sure. Um, I, I'm excited for it. Now we just got to get Sam Rayburn, you know, on board here, man. We can't, we can't be having Pasadena Eagles. I got to hold him down. I got to hold him down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, whenever I took the course there with Ben, it, it was really cool because Derek Cook, he's an athletic trainer that I do some um, like volleyball tournaments with. They've got it there at Sweeney and Alvin athletic oh, okay. trainer was there getting, um, mm -hmm. taking the course again because they were getting their second unit and Manville was there. And then, uh, I think there was another, another high school there. So he, here in the Houston area, there was multiple high schools saying, Hey, we're going to be doing this. And, you know, it is really cool. It is really a game changer. And I know Derek said that he's had some ACL 
kids coming back after like four months or something like that, you know, something like that because of the, um, the strength. And then one of the things I, I know that, um, I think they mentioned it in the course, or maybe I'll mention it in one of your podcasts is you can put the BFR on them in the prehab and it gives them an idea of what it's going to feel like later. Because so you, like you said, you know, them freaking out with the pressure, like not knowing what it's going to feel like. Well, if we put it on them beforehand, you know, it helps relieve the pain, but then they also have an idea because if they just put the cuff on and do quad sets or just put the cuff on and sit, then at least we break that barrier of, okay, because afterwards it's going to hurt more and they're not going to want to move it more. So just putting that on there and allowing them to sit, it gets some of the benefits of the BFR. And then it also gets some of the benefits of putting that, the comfort or increasing their comfort level with the therapy. So anything else? No, I'm good, man. All right, Jennifer, best way to get a hold of you. I have your email here in the show notes. Um, is there another way that you'd prefer people to reach out and hear about how y'all have physical therapy on campus, how you'll have five athletic trainers, um, how you recover from a dislocated ankle, any of that stuff? I think email would probably be the best. All right. So I have that here. It's Jennifer Asbury at cps.k12.ar.us. And again, I have that in the show notes. So Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Kyle, best way to get a hold of you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, or email, probably the easiest. So Twitter is at Kyle Kimbrell one, because there was already uh, uh, Kyle Kimbrell when I signed up for Twitter. And funny enough, someone asked me about that recently. And I, I was like, yeah, you know, I actually friended the original guy and he was kind of a jerk. Like he didn't really think it was entertaining that we were both Kyle Kimbrell, but whatever. So <laughs> fall at Kyle Kimbrell one, you know, not at Kyle Kimbrell. Cause that guy, I don't know about him um, on Instagram. I think I'm just at Kyle Kimbrell. And then uh, email is kyle at owensrecoveryscience.com. Those are the three so best ways to get older. You mentioned, Kyle, um, that the end of the exercises where I couldn't finish the squats. Yeah. I think I thought in one of them you said that at the very last few exercises, like, you know, basically like 70 to 75, I should feel like I'm smoked. Is that? Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You should feel that way for sure. In fact, you know, one of the kind of telltale signs for me is if, if someone's in that second set of 15 and they're still kind of cruising along and they're not too fatigued, then I know that, that they're, you know, the load needs to go up or some, some variable needs to change because really that second set of 15 should be pretty stinking hard too. And then that last set of 15 should be, should be really tough. You know, if somebody doesn't get all 75 reps, I'm not, overly concerned about that but um we think if you if you're not kind of at least getting into that fourth set and doing some work then you know you might you might have an exercise volume problem um and that can that can have repercussions in terms of just the amount of adaptation that you would get so speaking of being smoked at the end uh-huh. tell me just a little bit about your very first yeah. smoke with your new barbecue pit oh my goodness so i just recently bought an offset um, so we got a firebox and a cook chamber and all that. And I ran that fire for about 14 hours. Um, the weekend, the Super Bowl weekend, and I cooked pork butt, I cooked ribs, I had some chicken wings that I threw on there just for like a snack. And then I cooked a, I cooked a brisket flat because I didn't um a friend of mine provided that. I didn't have time to go get a full packer, but it went great. I actually love this thing way more than my Weber kettle and my Weber smoky mountain. It, the, the smoke was better. It was honestly almost easier to maintain the temperature uh, once I kind of got the hang of it. And so I'm really looking forward to, to cooking a lot more smoked meats on my, on my new barbecue pit, my new barbecue pit that looks old. It's got some nice patina on it. Yeah. Yes, sir. So love it. again, I invite you to come down to Houston and we'll hit up some of the spaces down. Over yeah, I want to do it. Spring break. I'm actually going with my brother-in-law and you can check out the hashtag barbecue Palooza. And oh. we're going to nine different places in the Dallas area over two days. And so we did something similar last year in Houston. It was like four or five places, but oh, I, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so check that out. Um, by the time this airs on the podcast, we will have already gone but it should be on Instagram or <clears throat> Twitter or something like that. Uh, so definitely check that out. Cow's a uh, meat connoisseur, also a BFR expert and a native Texan here with me. Oop. 
<clears throat> All right. So like I said, um, apply for a grant, figure out a way to get it funded. Uh, I know Dr. Alejandra Merriman over in California there, close to Cal. She yep. works with the CTE program. And I know Jennifer said they have sports medicine classes. And so they have labs. And that's another way that you can get that stuff funded. You know, say, hey, this CTE funding, this is the new technology. This is the thing that's really going to help our kids. They need the experience with this. Uh, you don't have to lie or be deceitful, but use what is available. Right? Get those grants, get those funded, get this stuff on your kids. Um, obviously, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to her about the CTE stuff, or maybe Jennifer has some tips and ideas on how to use that. I know uh, Keith Shireman there at Batesville High School, they just got um, the point of contact ultrasound, whatever that is, uh, the, you know, the ultrasound you can use there at the facilities. So use those opportunities to get this stuff in your high school. Uh, and then definitely reach out to Kyle, Jennifer, or anybody that we've had talking about this, about how, when, why, where you can do that. Again, for the sports medicine broadcast, this is BFR tips. So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash BFR tips, Jeremy, Jennifer Asbury, Kyle Kimbrell, the sports medicine broadcast that is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you.